with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in. We're in the end of John. We're getting closer and closer to finishing it out. And this is our passage for today that I'm going to read to you. It's John 20, 24 through 29. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, I want to start by proposing something to you that became very clear to me recently. My husband and I moved homes. I had a, our three and a half year old was still living in my closet for uh, too long. It's too long by the time you're three and a half and still living in my closet. And so we got a room where he had his own door that was not attached to mine. And, uh, and it's been awesome. But we moved there into this new home. And one of the things that became so clear is that there are two kinds of people. And my husband, Mark, is one and I am the other. And this is how it all comes out. I'm airing it all today. Um, so there are the people in life who, when you have you move into a space, you believe very strongly. You're the put it away people. Like everything in your place has a place. Is someone like that? They're like everyone has a drawer. Some this goes there. There's no clutters. Okay, everyone else, raise your hand because you are my people right here. I am the box it up kind of people. Okay. I actually would go so far as to say that things in boxes do have places, but that's for another time. And so all of my things currently live in boxes. And Mark will be like, hey, don't you think you want to, like, deal with some of your boxes? And, and so then I'm such a good wife, I'll, like, go over to the box and I'll open it up and, and I'll look at it. And I'm like, no, no, I don't, want to t- I don't want to deal with what's in that box right now. And so I close it and I put it away. So I have all these boxes that have places but of things in boxes. Um, And in my life, that I actually find very beneficial to my sanity in this season. Uh, But in real life, like outside of my moving world, it can be very restricting in life if all you're ever doing is keeping things very neatly boxed and put together, isn't it? So you think about relationships. You think about yourself. You think about um, situations. And if everything is always kept nice and neatly boxed, you have actually restricted yourself from getting into it. And the reason is, is because complexity of people, of anything, requires proximity, doesn't it? So you and I, I at least, I'll say, you can decide for yourself, but I like distance at times. Because from a distance, things seem a lot simpler, don't they? If I just keep distance from it, I may not be fully engaging with that person or that situation. But I also don't have to deal with the real work of, of digging into it with someone, of getting into the mess and the realness. And so a lot of times we will forego the more of something because it feels a lot harder. It's trickier. And yet today what I want to do is I want to dig into the more. And if I had titles for my sermons, which I haven't gotten to that point yet, but if I ever were to get there, I would call this the unboxing 
because I want to unbox some things today. Because for far too long, and I feel fairly passionate about this, for far too long we have taken this person in Scripture and we don't know what to do with all the things. And so we have this box of it. And you can just imagine with Sharpie on it, it just says, Doubting Thomas. And we just left him in the corner. And I don't know who started it. I actually Googled, who named him Doubting Thomas? I don't know who did this. But for as long as he's been known, he's the doubting one. And so today, I just if you imagine, I just want to take that box. And I just want to dig in and see who really is he? And have we gotten this all wrong? So there are two places I need to take you to first. Um, He appears in in John in two other places before we get to our current passage. One is in John 11, verse 16. It's in the middle of everything going on with Lazarus. And there's this one scripture, verse 16, where Thomas, called Didymus, said, um, I guess to back up, uh, Jesus had told his disciples that Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so you may believe, but let us go to him. And and there was a lot that was going to happen by going to him. But Thomas replies and says to the rest of the disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. Well, that sounds like someone who has some courage in him, doesn't it? He was ready to go die. I don't know how you teach someone that. There's something in you that is ready to go and not understanding, but he had some courage in him. If you go a few chapters later in John 14, it says this in verse 5. Jesus, actually to back it up again, uh, was talking about how he was going to go and prepare a place for them. I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. This is what Jesus is saying. And so Thomas says in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going. I mean, how honest could he get? We don't know. So how can we know the way? Now, what's beautiful, I think, about there is that that was someone who really wanted to be with Jesus. I don't understand it, but I need to know where you're going to be because I want to be with you. And, and those are just little glimpses, but they give us a small picture of who Thomas was. And then we get here in John 20, verse 24. And it tells us that Thomas was the disciple that missed the moment. Like big things had happened and he was absent. And what had happened is what the disciples tell him in verse 25, that we have seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And you can just imagine, they're just overflowing with excitement that they've seen, they've seen Jesus and Thomas wasn't there. And what he missed was actually a very monumental moment because what happened prior is in verse 19 that Jesus had appeared to his disciples on the evening that he he was resurrected. And it says the disciples are all in this room with locked doors and somehow Jesus appears. Don't ever say Jesus can't find his way through a locked door, right? He comes in somehow walking through walls. I don't know, but somehow he shows up. Doors are locked. And he shows up in this space and he speaks peace to them. And then he does something. He he tells them, um, I'm going to, I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. But he does something here. And this is what Thomas missed. Because it's not just any moment that he missed. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus breathes on his disciples. Now, this breathing is actually very significant breathing because this word here only appears two other times in all of Scripture. And the only times you find this breathing is when you translate the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And then you find this word two other places. And one is at the beginning of Genesis when at creation God breathed life into Adam. The other time you find it is in Ezekiel when God breathes life into the dry bones, that they rise as a living army. And so what's this breath that Jesus did here? It's the breath of life. It's creative breathing. Jesus' resurrection commenced in an entire new time. The old was gone, the new had come. And so in the new, he needed them to be a new creation, and so he breathed in them life. And this is what Thomas missed. Can you imagine the emotions you feel in that moment being like, uh-huh, oh, that's so awesome. That is so awesome for you, you know? <laughs> We've all been there. You're like, I am so happy for you that you got that. Now, um, we don't know why he missed it. And scholars like to say, well, we think it's this or not. No, we do not know why Thomas missed it this day. But we do know is what his response is because this is what he says. Verse 25, he said back to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. See, Thomas is unwilling to believe without seeing it for himself. And I actually really resonate with this. I was thinking about back when I was in high school, uh, I went to Young Life Club one night. I was the new kid that got invited by some friends. And on the night that I went, the leader was talking about Jesus and uh, all, all, just sharing the gospel, really. And I remember afterwards, I went up to him as a 16-year-old, and I said, could you show me where it is in the Bible? Like, I just heard you for the last however long, but I want you to show me. It, because I wanted to see it for myself. I mean, how many of you know there's a difference between hearing something and actually seeing it for yourself? And so I resonate with the fact that he wants to see it. For all Thomas had walked through, all that had happened, all that had been lost, Thomas wanted to see for himself the risen Jesus. Now, I think it's important to talk about doubt, because is doubt here? We, I think so. Um, they share that they've seen him, and Thomas doesn't want to believe yet. That's clear, which probably shows that there is some level of doubt. But even if there is doubt, can we just name it that doubt's real? Like, doubt is a real thing. Questions are real. I'm not glorifying doubt as this thing we should all go after, but I think it's important to name. I don't understand everything all the time. And in fact, I would go so far to say that if you do, if you never find yourself asking God questions of where are you and what are you doing and who are you, well, how big is your view of God? Because if you and I let God be God in all his vastness and, and glory and power and might, you, we're going to come against moments that we do not understand what he is doing. Am I right? There are moments we're going to be like, what? 
but also present here is so much honesty and clarity. Thomas knows what he wants, what he's asking, and who he's asking it to. He knows that stuff. And I love this because where there is doubt, we're tempted to withdraw when it's actually a time to engage. See, doubt isn't something that's meant, you, meant for you to cut off communication with God. Doubt is actually something where it's not a time to go silent. It's a time to get specific. Get specific with God when you don't understand something. Don't go quiet on him. And Thomas, he knew that he had missed this moment, but he also knew what he wanted to see. And what wasn't his experience sparked this honest response for what he wanted. I know what I want. I want to see Jesus for myself. And I really think that we could learn something about this. We don't often know how to deal with doubt. We kind of tiptoe around it because we feel like there's a lot of shame in it or that somehow it disqualifies us if someone knows that we're doubting some things in a moment. And yet, what if doubt you use it to clarify for yourself, this is what I'm asking God. Like, this is what I need you to do. Does it mean he's going to do it? Well, no. But, but it gets you honest and clear about what it is you really want from Jesus. It gets communication channels open, unclogged, not letting something cause us to hide, but causing us to engage with God in the middle of exactly where we are. And so I just wonder, what is it you want from Jesus today? And if you don't know, well, how honest are you getting with him? How honest are you? Can you take what you do not understand that God is doing right now and use it to clarify, this is what I need. This is what I want. You just leaned in. It changes the whole posture, doesn't it? Now, it would be so awesome if I was like, and then Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared in this moment. Thomas gets to see him and walks away instantly gratified. And yet, you and I know more than a little about something called delay, right? Like, we know delay in life. We know prolonged waiting. We know that stillness that at times feels like God is so absent. It feels like he is because everything's that quiet and just motionless. And here, Thomas makes this honest request. And verse 26 says, a week later, a week later. Now, I know for myself, I can feel really charged up when I first make that response to God. I'm just like ready to go. But as those days start counting up and that thing isn't happening, I can start feeling a little shaky about it. Like at first, I'm like, yes. And then after all, I'm like, yeah, you know, just like, I still believe, but I'm trying to believe Jesus. And there is such a postponement here. It could have been longer. It was only a week, but it was a week. It was a week. And what I found um, and felt God speaking about this to me is that sometimes we can see postponement as God pulling us back. And so the longer something takes to take place, we feel farther and farther from it versus on day one when we felt so hopeful about it. 
But what's clear here is that what feels like a postponement is God positioning things for a very real and specific revelation to take place. See, you and I can think that time passing is God forgetting. He's not forgetting. He cares enough. He cares enough to take his time and get things just so and in position for exactly what he wants to reveal. And here, a week passed, but God was just getting things into position. He was getting things aligned just as he wanted it. And this is what happens. A week later, his disciples were in the house, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It's the same greeting he gave a week earlier. And this missed moment and this postponed week positioned Thomas for this moment of real life, actual breakthrough and transformation to happen in his life. You know, we would love it if it's when everything's easy and smooth and going as expected, but we know it's when everything has gone awry and time is delayed and you and I have to make some choices there beyond how we see or feel or what we're desiring in that moment. And that's exactly when Thomas's life started to change, is in this place of a missed moment and a prolonged week. And so I want to talk about this moment because there are two things we really need to catch about this, right? We're just unboxing it. And the first is this, that Thomas showed back up. He showed back up. One week later, Thomas was in that room. And this is so important because what it means is he didn't let his missed moment keep him from his breakthrough moment. He didn't let one moment keep him from the thing that God was doing. And I just sense someone in here needs to hear that today because you're believing this lie that because you missed the one opportunity, there was that one moment, that one thing that, that had the opportunity for you to know God more, for your career to change or for a dream to come place. And because that moment didn't happen, you've decided that God is done. And so because times passed by, you've given up. And I just sense, you know, Thomas, the encounter came as Thomas came back. And you may have missed a moment, but do not miss the breakthrough God wants to do in your life today. I just sense God wanting to breathe some fresh life and hope and resilience into this room. That someone just needs to get up and to show back up today. Like someone just needs to be like, I missed it, but that's okay, I missed it. I'm getting back up again. I'm leaning back in again because I sense that God isn't done. Do not limit your God to one missed moment. It's a missed moment. Let it be and move on from it because some people here need to show back up. Show back up in the room. Show back up in the dream. Show back up in the relationship. Show back up in that thing that you missed once and say, I'm not stopping there. I'm going to continue to go. In fact, I just even sense some people are, are telling stories. You tell this story, you're like, and then that's when that thing ended. Then that's when I missed it. Well, maybe best, better next time. And then that's when it was over. Is that God's story? Is it? 
Is it God's story that it's over? Or is it God's story that what was a missed moment still carries the opportunity to be a breakthrough in your life? And if that's the case, then what would it look like for you to decide one more time, I'm just going to get back up? I'm going to have some fresh hope and resilience. I'm going to move into position again. I'm going to get myself back in that room again. I'm going to stir myself back into some hope again. I'm going to decide that what was lost once isn't lost for good because this is my God. And so I'm just going to lean in. And I'm going to keep going because I really believe that God is that active and strong. And he's bringing things alive in my life. I mean, isn't that why we're here? We're here because this is who Jesus is. And so I just wonder... What you think is dead and done and gone for good, what if God wants it alive and active again? And if so, can you show back up? Now, I want to say some of you are in this room today, and you are. You are. Like, you are dealing with real disappointment. You're, you're dealing with real stuff, and you showed back up. You're here. And I just want you to know I see you. Like, I'm really sensitive. It's not just for those of us who aren't, but some of us are. And if that's you, I just honor that decision. And, and I just pray you keep doing that. That you keep doing that. Because Thomas came back, and he was in that room when the encounter came. And even if you've shown back up and you haven't felt it yet, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Because God's heart and desires always for encounters of us in him. It's always for breakthrough and freedom and life to happen in us. So that's point one. Thomas showed back up. Second point, Jesus showed back up for Thomas. I just think this is amazing. I felt God really ministered to me personally in this. Jesus showed back up, which for one speaks to the fact of God's hearing us even when we don't sense him being with us. Because Thomas spoke his request in Jesus's absence, but Jesus responded by his presence. And you may not feel him, you may not see him. You may even feel like your doubt overwhelms your faith. But it does not mean that God is not hearing you or responding to you. It also speaks to the fact that no doubt of Thomas's was too much for Jesus or would keep him from coming back for his disciple. See, we think somehow in our minds that doubt repels God, which is why I think we have a lot of shame worked up in it. Because if God were to see this, well, maybe then God won't do this thing. No, no part of Thomas's doubt kept Jesus from being in that room that night. He showed back up because he was drawn into the disciple. He knew and cared for and saw as working through a process that took some time to figure out some things. Thomas wasn't faithless. He was wrestling faith. And there is such a difference in this. And someone just needs to hear this today. Because if you haven't yet, you will ask big questions of faith one day. Like you will. Someone will cross paths with you. Something will happen. Or you just look outside your world to what's going on to be asking the questions of, what are you doing, God? I mean, it's just natural for us to say, this doesn't always make sense with everything we see out here. And so who are you and what are you doing? But here's what I need you to know is if you haven't done that, but when you do that or if you're doing that, 
You are engaging a very real God when you ask him questions. And when you wrestle, that is a real living thing humans do. We wrestle, we get in it. It keeps us alive and active so that as we're working through all we do not understand about Jesus, we still are staying, staying close and near to the person of Jesus. Questions and wrestling are a beautiful thing with God. There's nothing to hide about them. It's so real to not understand and turn to him and say, help me. Help, I want to see. Help me. I want to see. Here's the final thing that Jesus showing up in that room shows is that Jesus revealed something so unique to Thomas when he showed back up that he had not revealed to the other disciples. Because through the missed moment and the prolonged week that took place, when Thomas was in that room and Jesus was in that room, Jesus showed himself to be the one who will come back even though he visited before. He showed back up for Thomas. He is the shepherd who, though there are 99, will go find the one who still needs him. This is who Jesus is. He's never too caught up in the crowd to not stop and care for the one. And you may be finding yourself so focused on what he's doing for everyone else, thinking that's all he's doing. And yet Jesus is the one who will show back up for the one. And so if you're like, I'm all alone, this seems like 99 this is happening to, and I'm the one that it's not, no, to you. Like in your own life, Jesus will bring breakthrough and encounter in such a unique way in your story that won't look like anyone else's story. So that in your own life, you come face to face with a Savior who is so real and personal and powerful to you. It's not supposed to look like everyone else. He doesn't do it the same for everyone else. And so where he isn't doing it for you, could it be that he's trying to do something so unique in your story right now? That he cares enough, he desires enough that he's positioning, he's getting things in place. And let me tell you, when you encounter him, your life's never the same. And Thomas's life was never the same after this moment. And not because Jesus gave him a whole bunch of answers. He wasn't like, hey, Thomas, um, let's start from the beginning. <laughs> Let me take you back. Or, hey, Thomas, you just ask all your questions. We'll just go line by line. As long as it takes, I'm just here, and I'm going to answer every single question. No, what did Jesus do in this moment? Jesus said, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe, he said to him. Thomas encountered Jesus, the person of Jesus, not answers for every one of his questions. He encountered Jesus in this moment, fully human and fully God bearing true wounds upon his body, and standing before him, resurrected, having conquered death in this moment. And so he tells him, stop believing, stop unbelieving, and start believing, stop doubting, 
It literally means in the Greek, um, stop becoming unbelieving, but believing. Don't you just love that? It's, it's Jesus speaking right to the core of Thomas. His voice is always about who we are at the very core of us. It's not about behaviors needing to change as much as getting into the core of stop becoming unbelieving, but believing, Thomas. Not because you have every answer to every question, but because look at me. This is who I am. I have wounds on my body, but I have presence in this room right now. This is who I am, and so believe this. Now watch this. Thomas goes in this moment from doubting who Jesus is to declaring him as my Lord and my God. And this is what I can't get over. I just keep thinking about this, is that when the disciples saw Jesus, they said they had seen the Lord. But Thomas, who missed the experience and wrestled with his own stuff, who waited a whole week wondering, likely, does Jesus care? Is Jesus real? Did Jesus hear? When he finally sees the Lord, he says, this is my Lord and my God. Scholars call it, in fact, one, if not the greatest confessions of faith in the entire New Testament right here because it is so raw and so real. It's so personal and clear. You are Lord and God, yes, but you are Lord and God over my life over my life and make no coincidence about it that the one who wrestled, the one who went through this whole process waiting and wondering is the one who when he sees him, sees him as the Lord and God over his own life. And isn't this how it goes? That the stuff we feel like is keeping us from faith or working against us, the doubt, the stuff that, that is going wrong, um, the stuff that's heavy or complex or cloudy, that that is the stuff that actually gets you so clear on who Jesus is for your life. And what I'm not saying is you just go make him whatever you want and let him fix, fit that box of yours. No, I'm saying everything he is can become that for your life. Because there's even a thing in faith that you can acknowledge who he is, but is that who he is over your life? Like, is he Lord and God over your decisions? Is he Lord and God over your thoughts? Is he Lord and God over your relationships? Is he your Lord and God over every mountain you have to climb and valley you walk through? Is he Lord and God for you? Because when the ground gets very shaky, you get very clear on what does not. So who is he for you? I want to tell you a quick story. I feel like I always have a story. I don't try to always have stories, but stories come in my life. God speaks to me a lot through stories. Um, this one happened a few weeks ago, and we have three kids. And um, it was at bedtime. Every parent knows whatever is going to go wrong goes wrong at bedtime always. I mean, that's just like a hard fact of parenting. And so it was bedtime. My youngest was like, oh, I want to go to sleep. I'm like, okay, let's put you to sleep. And so he goes and gets his pajamas on. He's three and a half. And I was near him, but I wasn't, I didn't have my eyes on him in this moment. 
and um, he, we have climbers in our life, in our, our kids. Our kids are climbers. And we try hard to do that dance of letting them learn things, but also uh, guiding them through that process. You don't want to be too rule heavy, but you also need something, right? Anyway, um, and so our sweet boy, my husband was like, make sure people know that this isn't how our life always works, Caroline, this stuff. I'm like, I know, I hope people don't think this. But on this one night, this one thing happened, okay? So our three-year-old climbs up, little did I know, he wanted to get his toothbrush and toothpaste, and he climbs up onto the bathroom counter. And I'm close, but I don't, I don't hear, I don't know that's what he's done. I just know he went to get his toothbrush. And the sweet thing has socks on, and he's on the counter, and he falls. And I hear the noise, and I look, and the noise I heard was of his, the back of his head hitting the tile. And immediately, I just ran over, and I just grabbed him up in my arms, and I just, I don't know that this is what you're supposed to do, but this is just what is so instinctual. I just hold him so tight, because as a parent, you just want every bit of the pain to somehow, even though it can't, like, transfer into you in this moment and so we end up calling the nurse um, on call and it's clear he has to go to the ER and uh, I'm so thankful for Mark it he my husband gets ready to go take him there and it really does matter who you marry and in moments like this and so Mark is takes our son and I have our other two and so I put them to sleep oh but before he left there's a sweet moment where my youngest uh, or my other two, not the hurt, the hurt one, but the other two, we, the three of us get and just start praying over Brant. That's my youngest name. And, um, you know, I didn't do this because I'm thinking about how to be really holy in this moment. I, I'm, I'm so desperate. That's where a lot of, of following Jesus actually comes from. It's just desperate. I just felt so desperate. I knew I couldn't do anything. So we pray the sweet prayer. I so believe, too, that kids just access God's heart and and. Um, heaven in a way that the rest of us don't as easily. And so my kids just pray this beautiful prayer, simplest prayer ever over him. And um, Mark and our son go to, to the ER. And so we put down, I put down my other two, and I get a text from Mark saying that he has made it to the hospital and they've gotten checked in and they're in the back room waiting to be seen. And then I don't hear from him for over three hours. And what I didn't know is that his phone died. Very suddenly, out of the blue, nothing. So there was no like, hey, my phone's going to die. Like, his phone died. And I am at home with our two kids. And at first, you know, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Calling. It still rings, but nothing. And so as time is going by, I'm starting to feel myself just get anxious. What's going on? And then I'm starting to feel so helpless. Like, I can't just leave this and go be with them. I have two sleeping kids. And so what is going on? And I could just feel myself starting to spin a little bit. And uh, I started to turn on worship music. And for three hours, I just listened to one song again and again. And I really just changed where I was in the house. I um, I would be on my knees. I would be on my face. I would be getting up, walking around. I'd be dancing. I'd be stomping. I mean, whatever. But I'm just still, everywhere I'm going, I'm just listening to the song. And just one more time, just getting so clear on who Jesus is. Because everything else seems really, really shaky in this moment. And the song, you know it. I'm going to spare you from singing it today. But you know it. 
I'm going to read you the, um, the lyrics of what I listened to. This is all I listened to again and again in the middle of shaky ground. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. And in that moment and in those hours, Jesus was becoming again in the most real way my Lord and God. And the more I felt out of tune of what was happening to the people I loved most, the more I became so certain of what I did know. I couldn't help out there. I couldn't do anything for out there, but I could meet him and encounter him here. And that's what we get in faith is that when everything feels like it's crumbling, we get to stand on what does not and not for everyone else. I wasn't doing this in this moment thinking about what would happen or how I could share it for someone else another day. I was doing this because I was so desperate for a rock to stand on and a firm foundation for my life in that moment. And I needed to know that Jesus really was my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is how Jesus closes out. The band can come back up. We're going to finish up. Jesus says this, that Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Listen, so much of faith walk is, is believing for what we cannot see in moments. And really for all that Thomas even saw, he saw Jesus, but he had a long life ahead of him of moments that he did not, I'm sure, see him and yet still have to believe. And what's beautiful about these words of Jesus at the end is that he's saying, I'm speaking my blessing over you as you choose to believe when you cannot see. And this is the final thing that, that um, John writes here. I don't want this to get lost on us today. This is what John in the gospel, the writer here, writes. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, which means that the ones that are are very specific. They're very intentional. And wouldn't you just have it that the final one, is the one about someone who wrestled with their faith and got very clear with Jesus about what he needed and got very clear with Jesus of who he was to him. And so then John, the writer here says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that you may have life in his name, Thomas wrestled, he waited, he processed, there was postponement, but he saw Jesus. He saw him so clearly for his own life. And no doubt of his kept Jesus from him, no question repelled Jesus. It all drew them into this encounter moment where because Thomas showed up and because Jesus showed up, Thomas's life was never the same. It's never the same. And the promise of Jesus' life or the promise of Jesus' name is
is life. Did you catch that? By believing you may have life in his name, life in the storms, life in the setbacks, life in the struggles. It doesn't mean everything's going to go easy from here, but it means whatever does, that he is the firm foundation you stand on who gives you life for all of it. And I want to invite you to stand up. I was praying so much coming in today about different people in this space, really asking God that he would bring certain people in. And these are some of what I thought about today. And I really want to hold a ministry moment as we go back into worship. Because for some of you, maybe it's a day of saying, hey, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and God of my life my life. I don't know. You may have come to church for years, but it could be a day of choosing. No, for my life, you are Lord and God. It's no longer about standing on the shoulders of what others say or hearing about what they hear. I want to see you for myself. I want to encounter you for myself. And I want you to be Lord and God over my life. And if that's you, I'm just believing today's the day of saying, I want life in you, Jesus. I want full life in you. I was also thinking about people who have given up. You've given up. It's okay. But you just know, I gave up. I've given up that dream. I've given up showing up for God. I've given up. And if that's you, well, can you show back up today? Can you show back up? Can you make that choice? I'm going to show back up. I don't know when or how, what's going to happen, but I'm going to show back up. What about some of you who are so clouded by doubt? You're like, I have so much doubt in this space right now of my head. Okay, but can you get clear on what you're asking him? Can you get clear with him of how you're doing? Can you get honest in it? Can you not cut off communication with God just because of doubt, but can you actually engage God in it? And here's the last one. There are people who, who you, you are not seeing. You're not seeing it. You know what you want. You know what you sense God's saying, but you're not seeing it. Okay, but can you believe for it? Can you still choose to believe him? Can you still choose he's faithful? Can you still say yes, even though you don't see it? And so if that's any of you, if you're like, I want life today, or, or I want to believe today for what I can't see, I want to get, I want to, uh, get clear in my doubts if I just want to um, show back up. I just want you to raise your hand in this space for any of it. And what I'm going to ask is that our amazing ministry team and staff, I just, if, I just want you guys to go find someone and put a hand on them. And we're just going to have a ministry moment. Hands went down. You, can, you don't even have to go anywhere, but just raise a hand. And someone wants to pray for you today. Because we can do this here. And it's a beautiful thing when we say, I need something. I need something, Jesus. And for the rest of us, if you don't have your hand raised, but you're around someone, go put a hand on them. We're the community, and we're just stirring things up in this place today. Maybe if someone doesn't have a hand, you can still go to someone and be like, hey, I just want to sense this. Like, let's get some movement going in the middle of our waiting. Let's get some movement going in the middle of our worship today.
You might just need to have to move to a different place of the room to just engage God in a fresh way. And I just want to challenge you to do that, just stirring things up. And Holy Spirit, we just pray in this room right now that we would encounter you, God, in such a life-changing way. Whether we've had so many encounters or this will be our first, I pray you open us up and I pray you bring down your reign in this place, God. I pray that where there's missed moment would be breakthrough in Jesus' name. I pray people who gave up would walk out of here ready to show up in Jesus' name. I pray people who are believing it's over would walk out of here with hope and resilience. It's not in Jesus' name. I pray people who haven't seen you in a while will feel you today, that you'll open ears, you'll open eyes, and you'll open hearts, God, that you'll stir us awake in you, Jesus. This is your kingdom and what you have in heaven, we pray right now, God, would happen here in this room today in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come and breathe on us. In the mighty name of Jesus, would you give us life, life abundant. Thank you, God.